Good to be back uh, tonight for an evening study with you. I uh, hope that your Sunday has been blessed and that uh, if you're able to attend the 90th birthday celebration, that uh, that was a, definitely a blessing to you. I know it was to uh, the people that went. So uh, thankful for you attending that, showing your support, and just having that good opportunity to get together, celebrate something good, Christians being together, fellowship. Something that we will address a little bit tonight in this uh, uh, topic of joy that we have set before us. And before, uh, well, you can go ahead and open your Bible to 1 John. 1 John. The very first chapter, and we will read those opening verses momentarily. Before we begin, I would like to have a prayer and start us off in prayer to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that we can look at your word. And Lord, we pray now that you will focus us and that we will submit to your word, that we will submit to the will that you have set for us to do, uh, that we'll submit and daily take up our crosses and follow you wherever that may be. Lord, we pray that we can be servants, that uh, we can be humble, and that we will, we will 100% know and trust that your way is the best way. Uh, build up within us, Lord, uh, knowledge and good judgment and wisdom and discernment. Give us an ultimate respect, a high regard for your word, with the intention not only of learning from it, uh, Lord, but, but doing what it says, trying to be the people of God in the world. Uh, Lord, help us as we, as we uh, attempt to live up to that high calling. Give us grace uh, and, and give us mercy as well. Lord, we thank you for the bond that we have with you, the bond that we have with each other. And as we explore that tonight, Lord, help solidify those things in our mind those things that encourage us, those things that give us hope, and those things that keep us steadfast in the faith. Lord, we pray all this for the sake of your kingdom so that your work can be furthered, your, your cause and your name can be glorified. And it's through your son's name, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We are in the Christmas season. I usually cover for David around Christmas time. And uh, it, is a, it is a joyful time of year. For many, and my birthday's in December, so double, uh, double luck there. But the Christmas holiday is just a, a happy time for most, and it is just a season as full of joy and family and gifts and really good food, depending upon what family you come from or whether or not you go to Cracker Barrel for Christmas or you eat Chinese, I don't know. But there's so many blessings to enjoy wrapping up a year and going up, uh, going on into the next one. And so I, th I thought it would be just fitting to talk about the concept of Christian joy. You know, there's a lot of dual, uh, dual concepts out there in the world. You know, the world has their definition of, of ethics and work. Uh, the, the Christian has their definition of ethics and work. The world has their definition of, of telling the truth, and Christians have 
their definition telling the truth uh, and, and what the truth even is. And so there's, you know, there's worldly joy. And, and now some of that is, is wrapped up in just a, a good feeling and experiencing gladness. And, and some of that transfers over into Christianity. It's definitely a good thing to be a Christian. It makes you feel good. It makes you experience gladness. Those are definitely uh, similarities between worldly joy and, and uh, joy as a Christian defines it. But past that, there's really a departure in what it means to be joyful as a Christian and joyful as a worldly person. And so we're going to pick up this this text in 1 John, and we're going to go all over the place. This is not my style, but, but to give you a good look at joy, I thought we would hit a few key texts, and we'll start out in 1 John chapter 1, the first four verses. It reads, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John and Paul and Luke and all these New Testament authors really embody well this Christian concept of joy. We don't have this uh, elusive, floating around in the air, hard to grasp definition of joy if you're a Christian. Uh, we have a strong evidence and teaching on, on just the study of joy. And what better way to open John's letter he, talks, uh, he, he writes to his audience than talking about joy and the reason for it, and that is Jesus Christ. You see, John opens his letter here with Jesus Christ, his witness of Jesus his manifestation in the flesh, the eternal life and the salvation and so forth that Christ brings with him. You see, to John, Jesus wasn't a, a mystical person. It wasn't a myth that was passed down to him. It wasn't a story that his grandparents told him or anything like that. To John, he saw Jesus with his own eyes, touched him with his own hands, beheld the word of life, saw this eternal life and all of this firsthand and he is going to pass it on to us. And so at the beginning of these opening verses, John gives us two reasons for writing this letter. And he's gonna, he'll say, I write to you uh, multiple times throughout the letter, but he opens up in the first four verses with two things. One, he is writing those things so that we can have fellowship with him. And John is an apostle and John knew Jesus, and, and apparently there's an audience with John, so it's very important here. These, uh, this group of people is, is writing this letter with John, sending it to this audience saying, we want to tell you about Jesus. We don't want to just baptize you and leave. <laughs> we don't want to just uh, teach you a few uh, spiritual tips and tricks on how to help yourself better get along in the world. We want to have fellowship with you. And you think about what an elite group of men the apostles were. 
God only made a dozen. They didn't exist outside of that. And so to have fellowship with an apostle, someone who knew Jesus Christ personally, if you had never seen him personally, was a big deal. And two, the second purpose he writes for is he wants to make his joy, uh, their joy, complete. He wants to fill it up. He wants to bring it to culmination. He has joy and he wants that joy to be made complete. For John, fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, was a, was a joyful thing. All right, fellowship with the Father and Jesus Christ produces joy in one's life. Just to know them and to have that bond produces a joyful life. Fellowship with Christ produces joy. And, and in turn, there's kind of a second shift here that I want you to see from this text and we'll move on. This joy that happens from fellowship with Christ bonds us to other Christians. And that's kind of where you have joy from God. And then you have this, it moves over into this joy that we share, that we all get from fellowship with the Father and the Son. And we have this fellowship now with one another. And so this inseparable bond we have with Christ turns into an inseparable bond we have with each other. And we become the church and we have fellowship. So what I want to do tonight is I want to continue that just that thought that John begins there, and I want to talk about some different facets of joy. And I don't want to do an exhaustive study. There are 300 plus occurrences of the concept of joy and rejoicing in the New Testament alone. <laughs> and uh, there's seven different words in the Gospels talking about the word for joy. Seven, seven different words. So we ain't doing no word studies tonight, uh, but I want to talk about some, just, I want to give you the major outlines. You know, if I could just trace the lines and get you started, that's what I want to leave you with tonight. So what can we know about joy from scripture? I've got four things. Let's get into the first one here. Joy can include the experience of gladness, but now we're talking about Christian joy. We're talking about a more complete joy than the mere experience of gladness. It's the mere experience of gladness plus a little bit more, so much more maybe, if you want to phrase it that way. Christian joy is gladness in the present life because you know that the kingdom of God has come, that the kingdom of God is at hand and it's here right now, and that one day Jesus Christ will come again for a second time and this kingdom of God is going to reach its full culmination and God's reign is going to be complete and everyone is going to know, everyone's going to confess the lordship of Jesus Christ. This kind of a joy in this kingdom of God and, and the gifts we have now in the present from what Jesus did in the past and the hope that we have from the future that we are looking forward to, all of that is a deep, sustaining joy. Go to Luke chapter 8, verse 13, and you're going to know this extremely well. Luke chapter 8 and verse 13. Luke is the most joyous gospel. Stick that in your pocket, take it home. He talks about joy the most. And this uh, kind of mirrors, I think, Mark chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 13, talking about the, the uh, parable of the sower. And so in Luke chapter 8, verse 13, he's going he's gonna, to he's gonna talk about all these different types of seeds 
And uh, you probably know the parable of the seeds and what happens to each one and what type of soil produces what type of, of, uh, of increase uh, or God gives the increase. And we get to verse 13 and he's explaining this parable to his, uh, to his followers. And it reads, and the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing, they fall away. So we see kind of something important here that, that you can hear the good news and you can receive good news with joy, but there's got to be something more than that. You've got to have joy with a root, so to speak. Anyone can listen to the story of the gospel or, or good news and, and feel heartfelt gladness. Can you not do that? Can you not watch a Hallmark movie and just feel, feel a small tear well up at the end? It's a good story. And the gospel is just that. It is, it is an outstanding story. The, the way it is told, the way it is presented, the things that happen, the attachment that you get to Jesus when you read about him and you want to know more about him. It's a great story. I mean, when Jesus was born in a stable, God let us know right then and there that, that things were on their way to being changed for forever. When Jesus went to the cross and cried, it's finished. We knew that things were on their way to changing forever. And then when Jesus walks out of the tomb on the third day, resurrected to a new life, conquering death, right then and there, things changed forever. And then the ending of the story is even more glorious. He's coming back and he's going to establish us for eternity and we are going to live with God forever, and things will change again forever. That's an awesome unfolding of events. And if you look at literature and stories and everything since the Bible's been written and, and TV, movies, whatever you, want to, whatever you want to look at, the greatest stories of those genres steal from the gospel. The greatest stories always have a a savior. The greatest uh, victories always come from the least likely one to, to win or pull it out. The most powerful virtue is love in all these movies, and it's even more powerful than hatred. All of these elements were, were borrowed from, from an old, old story, the gospel. Except there's, there's one catch. The gospel of Jesus Christ is, is not just a story. It's not just a a novel, it's not just a nice poem. It's the truth. It's real life. And I just pulled out the wrong sheet. There we go. We can't listen to good news, the good news of the gospel, and then rejoice and, and feel glad and be like, uh, let's, let's praise God for all the wonderful things that have happened and then, and then let's go on to the next thing. We've got to have a root when we rejoice. When you encounter the gospel, you can either do two things. You can totally refuse it or you can be so transformed by it that you look nothing like you used to look after you encounter it. And Jesus in the parable of the sower is saying, I don't want people that rejoice at great news and then forget about it. Anybody can do that. Felix and other people that Paul talked to would do that and send him away. They'd want to believe it and they'd maybe rejoice, but then they didn't follow it. Jesus says, I want people who are going to rejoice and live by what I tell them, come what may. So we've got this joy 
And it's got to be a sustainable joy with a root. Okay, so let's keep pushing forward in this line of thinking. I want you to go to Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through following. Philippians chapter 1. I didn't mark my Bible on purpose so I, I would slow down. Philippians 1. You can't talk about joy without talking about Paul. And Paul mentions rejoicing and joy in, in the letter of Philippians dozens of times. Probably, probably the most that he mentions it in any other one of his writings. Don't quote me on that. Uh, but I would guess it's high up there. And yet this is a letter that Paul wrote in his prison epistles. It's a, it's a letter that he wrote from prison. So uh, if you can write a rejoice-themed letter from prison, that's pretty admirable. That, that's pretty awesome. And he starts speaking in verse 3. I thank my God in all remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it, will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Okay, Paul, you have this joy and you're making prayers and supplications for other people and you're remembering them night and day and so forth. And that was a common thing that Paul would tell his readers. I'm, I'm praying for you. I'm thanking for you. Uh, I'm thinking of you. And I'm thankful for you. And Paul says here, I'm doing it all with joy from prison. Why are you doing it all with joy from prison, Paul? What's going on? I have joy because from the first day you have been working with me in the gospel. That's a little deeper than just hearing a, a good story. You hear the good news and you have joy. And what might sustain you for a little bit further is that fellowship that you have with other people who believe the gospel is the truth. And you have, that, you have that bond, so to speak. You have that fellowship with other believers. Paul is joyful because of his partnership with the Philippians in the gospel all the way up until the date that he's writing. You see, fellowship is more than eating together and it's more than small talk and it's more than common interests and sharing the same background as somebody we are united with the joy that comes from knowing Christ. Like Paul was, was united with them in his joy, uh, in, in his unification of the gospel with them. Christ's death, his resurrection, his second coming. And that makes me think of a sad thought. I, was, uh, gra I graduated from Freed, and it was time to go on out into the real world. And I visited a church after I had graduate. I was looking for a church home, you know, I was trying to, you know, fit in wherever I could and just see where I could get involved. I needed an involvement minister in my life. Um, would have helped a lot. But I went to this church and I went into the auditorium. I, I didn't know what to expect. Uh, maybe just a, a regular Sunday service and there was tables set up all over everywhere. And I thought, well, this could be interesting. And so we were meeting in this gym with tables set up. There were chairs around each table, much like the fellowship hall would be set up in the round table. And so I, I sat down and we had, a, we had a worship service. We were singing and uh, we had a sermon and so forth. And uh, then it got time to do the Lord's Supper. 
And we were all sitting there together. I was sitting with a lot of people that I didn't know. And there was a, a paper on a, a sheet of paper, kind of like small groups, like discussion. And, and I remember just sitting there wondering what to expect. And we started taking the Lord's Supper. And after we would take the bread, there'd be a moment of silence. And then there would be uh, these questions to talk about. So we, we would be... It was kind of a community, a communal taking of the Lord's Supper and a private taking of the Lord's Supper. Uh, it, it, was, it was pretty interesting. What broke my heart was this. And I don't think anybody who set that up meant for this to happen. After about 20 seconds or 30 seconds or one or two questions about whatever was on the sheet, we started talking about the weather and we started talking about sports and we started talking about where everybody was from and my heart just sank. I didn't come to church to talk about the weather and go outside and sit on a log for that one. I didn't come to church to talk about sports. I didn't come to church to, to talk about other people. I came to church because I... I wanted something, I needed something. As someone who had graduated from, from college and was trying to find a place in the world, I needed Christian fellowship. Fellowship in the sufferings and teachings and life of Jesus Christ, and I didn't get it. Got small talk. We are a spiritual people, and we do not live on bread alone. We don't grow on small talk with other people that look like us and think like us and have the same background like us. We grow by hearing the word of God and the good news. We grow by having true fellowship with God's children and by talking and living the business of the kingdom of God. In all honesty, I, and, and I hope you feel this way too, I don't care what's on the news if I haven't had my daily bread from God. I don't care what celebrity did which act of whatever on TV if I haven't had my daily fellowship with other believers. You know, isn't it neat how the gospel can bring people together who are totally different when it's done right, when you have that Christian fellowship? It can unite them unlike anything else. You could pick somebody else out in this auditorium that's nothing like you and say, what do we have in common? We don't have anything in common. We don't share the same interests. We don't go to the same Bible class. We don't listen to the same music. We don't play the same sports. Our kids don't play the same sports. They don't have kids. I do. Or I don't have kids and they have three kids. How can we understand each other? But you know what? You share Christ. You share Jesus Christ. The one thing that matters. I can take the youngest Christian in this room and I could take the oldest Christian in the room and put them together and they may not share anything in common, not gender, background, anything, maybe not even the same language, but they share Jesus Christ. And that ought to mean something to us. So Christian joy creates fellowship, and I'm talking about real fellowship that makes you come back Sunday after Sunday. It's not a checklist. We need to be here to get it. It's good for us. Number three, real Christian joy comes from knowing the big picture. And I'm going to give you two analogies that Jesus gives himself. 
Let's go over to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. Matthew chapter 13 is a great chapter. Good bird's eye of the kingdom of God. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. You get a parable in one verse. It's incredible. All right. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. What's the kingdom of heaven like? What is the life of Christ like? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to be a part of the church? What does it mean to be a part of all these joyful things going on? It is like going into a field and finding a treasure that is worth vastly more than all you have ever owned in your life. And you have the chance to, to go get it. Isn't that incredible? If you happened upon millions of dollars, what would your reaction be? It would be fun if I had millions of dollars to lay it out in a pile in a random field and just see who walks by and what they do. Uh, it'd be extremely interesting. But this man goes and in his joy, it says, he goes and he sells and he buys that field. Sells all he has, buys the field. He joyfully sells all. What would make him do that? Well, not selling his field. He's not thinking about, well, I got to give up my field. What's he thinking about? He's thinking about the reward. If I lose my field, it doesn't even, if I lose all my possessions, what does it matter as long as I get that field and get the treasure? He's looking at the big picture of things. We can't look at life as Christians and have joy at the same time if we're only thinking, well, if I'm saying goodbye to the world, I'm giving up, I'm giving up this, I'm giving up that, I'm giving up that, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm just going to have to bear, you know, grip my teeth and bear it, and maybe one day this heaven thing will work out. The kingdom of heaven is a certain reward, a certain reward that we will have, and it is worth everything that we can invest in this life. It's not a risky business deal. Do we go out and sell all we have, if that's what it took in our joy to go get the kingdom of God? This man is certain of a reward. He's He's clear. He sees the big picture. And when you have the big picture, we have all the facts, you can have joy. You can have joy about it. You're not wondering. You're not guessing anymore. Look also to John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verses 20 through 24. It's the second kind of analogy that Jesus gives. And ladies, you'll like this. He talks about childbirth. I don't have experience here, so I'm going to let Jesus do the talking he says in John chapter 16, verse 20, Truly, truly, I say to you, <clears throat> you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your, your sorrow will turn into joy. And he's, he's talking about himself being crucified and, and going to the Father and, and so forth. He's talking about the time where he will leave and the world's going to rejoice. Satan's going to rejoice. He's going to think he has a victory. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. Wouldn't that be a terrible thing if there was no baby at the end of birth? 
There was just nothing. You had to go through all that pain, ladies, for nothing. And uh, I don't know, a stork dropped it off two weeks later. All that pain for nothing, no baby at the end. But that's not what childbirth is. He says, but when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. There's a bigger picture than the pain that's going on in this process. So also, so he's, here's, the, here's the similarity. You have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And that day we, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And then skip a, a sentence there. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. When mothers have children, when families begin to, to grow, they know that birth is going to be a part of the process. And it's going to be painful and it's, it's, it's going to be risky. But at the end, that human life comes. And I've never heard a parent, you know, I, I've never heard a parent talk about that moment in a bad way. I've always heard parents talk about you just wouldn't understand it until you were holding this baby in your arms, knowing this is my, this is my new family. And they would tell you, yeah, we, we would do it all again to bring a life into the world. The, the reward is worth the milestones and, and the trials and the difficult spots along the way. And it's the same with the Christian life. Something amazing is coming. Something that makes all the current trials worth it and then some. So we endure it and we have joy throughout the whole process. Why? Because we know the end game. We know how it's going to finish out. God gives us this joy and it's deep and it's rooted. So we're not just hearing a good story and forgetting about it. We're having fellowship. We know the end. And so we have this deep joy that, that works to where we can be faithful uh, last point, real Christian joy stems not from abilities or efficiencies uh, or current circumstances. And you could go, we don't have time, to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, write it down. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, really good text there. But I'm going to go to Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Jesus' disciples have just gotten back from casting out demons and all these spirits being subject to them. And they were really, really on fire. And so they're having this heated conversation with Jesus in a good way. And they're saying, man, the spirits are even subject to us. And Jesus gives a very interesting point. He says in Luke chapter 10, verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Who cares what you can do or you can't do, physically or spiritually? It doesn't matter when you are God's child. Can I say that again? Who cares what you succeed or fail at by the worldly standards or what your abilities are, even in this congregation, whether you think they're good or bad, if you're God's child? Jesus says, I don't care about how much power you have. I don't care how effective you are in your congregation. I don't want that to get in the way of, of your joy. If you have joy, I don't want it to be over how magnificent and much talent you have. 
Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14, continuing this line of thought, Paul says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Why should we be joyful? If you skip down, it talks about a little bit of Christian history. He, Christ, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We not only have joy in the future, we not only have joy in this bond with each other right now, we have joy over what happened in the past. Great joy, because we're all, we're all sinless. It's not that we've never committed sin, but our life is hidden with Christ Jesus. When God comes back and Christ comes back, God is going to see Christ's life hidden in ours. He's not going to know the difference. We are the sons and daughters of God. We are the brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, this deep kind of joy can help you ride out troubles. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse, 20, verse 34, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 34, talks about this in practice. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. That doesn't sound like the American thing to do. Since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Joy can get us through trials in this life that we're experiencing now, even our stuff being taken away. Why? Because we got a better possession. We got an eternal possession. We got an abiding home. We don't live in a city built with hands here. Our citizenship is in heaven. And that's a little bit of Philippians, what, 2.20, 3.20? And a little bit of the end of Hebrews there. So how can we have this deep joy? Well, it comes from knowledge. What kind of knowledge? God's knowledge. We have this redeemed standing with God. We have been qualified. We've been transferred into a kingdom of light. We've been delivered. We have a better possession coming. Our names are written in heaven. <clears throat> the, the knowledge of the end of something makes all the difference. <clears throat> and so as a final thought, just think about this. How many times have you helped somebody going through something difficult? And this is the kind of thing that you heard. Well, if I just knew what was going on with my child, I'm not saying it has to be fixed. If I just knew, it'd be bearable right now. If the doctors just knew what the issue was, I'm not even thinking about being made well. I just, if we could just know what's going on, if we could just understand why this approach is not working with this problem, it would be bearable. If someone just understood what I was going through, if I could just be understood and I could know what was going on, it would be bearable. You know, as humans, we're just, we're bound to say those things because we don't have the whole picture of our health, of the future, of the government, of politics, of the economy. We don't have it. We don't even know what's going to happen in our family next week. Something good, I hope, but we don't know. But I will tell you one thing that we will never have to beg God to give us the answer to. Where we're going to end up for eternity. You're never going to have to wonder at night, is God going to come back and reign and take us to heaven? I don't, I don't know. Is God going to take me with him into eternal life? I don't know. We'll never have to sit there and think about that kind of thing. For the world, the holiday season can be joyful. For the Christian... 
We know. We know. And therefore, everything is joyful. Everything is joyful, even trials. Tonight, I hope you have the joy of the Lord. I hope it's your strength. I hope it's what gets you through your day. I hope that you have that that solid confidence in God that he'll make good on his promise and you are joyful about it. I hope you're a joyful Christian. That's what it is to be a Christian. And if you would like to become that, you can be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. You can raise in newness of life and walk with him and know how your end is going to be brought about. You know it. And you can be joyful. If you'd like to come back and you want that back in your life, we can help you with that too. In whatever way we can help you.